Hello, you are listening to the Omnitalk Fast Five, brought to you in partnership with the AM Consumer and Retail Group, Firework, SPS Commerce, and Sezzle. Ranked in the top 10% of all podcasts globally, the Omnitalk Fast Five is the podcast that we hope makes you feel a little smarter, but most importantly, a little happier each week, too. Today is June 22nd, 2023. I'm your host, Dan Mazenga. And I'm Chris Walton. And we are here once again to discuss the most important headlines from the past week that highlight how the physical, digital, and human elements of retail are coming together to shape the future. Now, joining us today, Chris, for their regular monthly appearance are the A&M Consumer and Retail Group's Chad Lusk, a.k.a. The Lusker. The Lusker, back in town. And Dave Schneidman. Chad and Dave, welcome back. We're so thrilled to have you with us. Um, Lusker, you want to go first and tell the audience a little bit about who you are if they haven't caught one of your many appearances on the Fast Five? The, this Lusker thing is really starting to stick, isn't it? Um, I, I tried everything I could to get him to stop, but he wouldn't. So now oh, it's I'm, all good. It's I'm, all good. Actually. I'm contractually obligated to OmniTalk to it, call you the Lusker. In fairness, I have not called him that since I first called him that. You just keep bringing it up, but that's cool. All right. It's actually not true. You referred to Oh, me it's as, not? Oh, okay. Like, uh, five, like a week or two ago. Oh, but you know right, what? That's yeah, all right. right. I'm, all right. I'm, fi- I'm finding it rather endearing, Chris. Right, you know, good. it's okay. It is. It's a term <laughs> of affection. Yes. Um. So, hey, guys. Welcome. Uh, welcome back uh, to me. Um, I'm a uh, partner and managing director with uh, with Alvarez and Marcel Consumer and Retail Group. Been with the firm nearly uh, three years now at this point. Uh, for my clients, I work mostly on broad scale transformation uh, with a specific focus on growth, marketing, commercial strategy. Um, and as OmniTalk loyal listeners hopefully know uh, about our firm at this point, mm-hmm. but we at AM CRG, we have a big operator slant. So in true AM fashion, prior to being here, I led similar transformations inside organizations uh, as multi-time chief strategy officer, chief marketing officer at a few CPGs and retailers. Good to be Excellent. back. It's good so have good to have you back. Um, Dave, welcome back to you. Um, tell the audience a little bit. It's been a while. So tell tell us a little bit. That's a stain song, right? It's been a while. Remember that she one was. from the 90s? Oh, yeah. That's a good job. Um, okay. Oh, yeah. It's been a while since we had you on the show. Sorry for that terrible 90s uh, little offshoot no, that we went on. Awesome. Uh, but tell the audience a little bit about you and what you do specifically at a Well, first and foremost, you know, this is unfair. Why don't I have a nickname? I think I, I mean, why does only the Luster get one? Oh, you'll get one by the end of the show. Yeah, okay, we'll figure cool. something out. We'll okay, figure something out. Nicknames are not earned or are earned, not just earned. <laughs> yes. Yeah, they're, yes, they're not just handed out willy nilly, Dave. No, I, I know that. This is I your just... first time on the show, right? You've never been on the Fast Five before, right? I have it, right? but I yes. just... Oh like, my hopefully, gosh, that's hopefully, right. Hopefully Come my on. reputation precedes me and, and, and by the end, you know, I've won you guys over where I deserve, uh, I deserve a nickname. Yes, yes. Perfect. 100%. All right, so... Uh, David Schneiman, I'm a senior director here at AM, been with the company for almost two years. Uh, similar to Chad, also focus on transformation with uh skew towards more growth, sales, marketing, channel strategy, operating model. Uh to uh really double down on what Chad mentioned about the operator mentality. Uh my background is more on the operator side. So I was in industry in CPG. For almost a decade, 
and then transitioned to financial services and private equity and venture capital on the operating side, again, in consumer goods. Uh, and looking forward to uh, the banter today. This should be fun. Yeah, we're really excited to have you both. We've been so pumped for this episode. We've been traveling all over the world, it seems like, the last few weeks. And yeah, this is going to be great. I'm I'm excited. I, I, I'd say this every month, but it's totally true. Like, it's my favorite, favorite Fast Five episode every month because I love when you guys are on because you just bring such a unique perspective to everything. But, Anne, before we get to the headlines, I have to... Yeah. I have to comment on the, you know, you're, we're, you're, we're fully remote. As everyone knows, we talked about that a few weeks ago. You've got, you're holding the mic today. You're kind of doing your Arlo white Ted Lasso impression, you know, looking good though. Looking good. Something like that. Yeah. I mean, I, we're doing a house swap right now. So we're, I'm at my, I'm in my mother's massage room right now. She has a massage right after this. So we are booking this room. We got to get through this podcast because we are booking this room and I'm, yes, I'm holding a mic in my hand. She's got massage clients coming in next. All right, well, let's get yes. Let's let's get to it then. All right. In today's fast five, we've got headlines on sweet green going what is called full robot. Yeah, I like the sound of that. Shein broadening out its marketplace. REI expanding its new store concept dedicated to used gear and apparel. Mercedes-Benz installing chat GPT in its cars. But we begin today with more retail media news out of Walmart. And I can't think of two better people to have on the show to discuss this topic. And yes, that's right, Chris. Headline number one, Walmart and NBC Universal have inked a new partnership. So according to the website Payments, Walmart and NBC Universal have teamed up to test retail media powered ads within live sports streaming, marking the first time, according to a Walmart press release, that NBC Universal's live sports streaming inventory will be available through a retail media network. Walmart says it will combine NBC Universal's premium inventory with its measurement capabilities as part of its premium CTV bundle, the bundle that helps brands connect with Walmart shoppers via streaming platforms. Uh, Chad, we kind of picked this one exactly for you because we knew you were going to be on this show. You're the CPG expert amongst the four of us. How big is this move, this partnership between Walmart and NBC Universal? And is it is it that big or is it just another overblown retail media headline? What are your thoughts? Um, yeah, I appreciate you picking it for me. I appreciate obviously Walmart waiting to release this uh, ahead of of uh, me being on the show. So it's all serendipitous. <laughs> and, um, and your and your that's the kind of your, pull we have, Chad. <laughs> yes, exactly. And your soccer uniform that you're wearing yes. today in full support of live streaming on NBC Universal. I don't even know if they stream congrats Premier League games. But... Yeah, congrats to the U.S. men's national team on their uh, CONCACAF victory this past weekend. We got Women's World Cup coming up in, the, in a month. It's a very exciting time to be a soccer fan. But okay, so the headline. Um, so on, on the surface, right? Um, yeah. Uh, so listen, uh, ads are great. I'm a marketer, love ads. Um, frictionless, clickable commerce, like thumbs up. When I hear a story like this, though, like here's what I'm actually looking at. So the the power of retail media comes in having the knowledge, the analytics engine, and the ability to create highly personalized shopping experiences, right? Um, so to do that, you need a lot of data. Uh, and my question on this is, as, is in these partnerships, how much data is Walmart getting from these partners? Because if it's a lot in turn from, you know, about these consumers participating in the platform, this whole platform of which, 
NBC Universal is a piece. It's not the, mm-hmm. the be all end all, right? But, but all these things combined could really tip the scales on a really important question in e-commerce, which is who actually knows the most about me, right? And so if you kind of dial it back a little bit, like it used to be Google, right? Of course, they didn't really do anything with that information based on search history, but, but they had it. Then Amazon actually eclipsed Google as the most popular e-commerce search engine. So Amazon became that retailer that knew me best. If they ever got Alexa to work in a meaningful way, like that probably would have been the linchpin. But the way things are shaping up, like will it actually eventually be Walmart? Like it's interesting. They're already number three in terms of where consumers start their search online shopping, right? And look at Amazon, 56% search engines, about 42% of consumers use it. Walmart's at 37 and they're the only one of the three that's grown in 2023. So you have that. And then this whole program, right? It's, it's NBC Universal now, but Walmart Connect already has Roku. It's tapped into TikTok. Now this live sports streaming, like- That's what I was going to bring up. You know, come to this headline for the ad potential, sure. But like stay for the ability for Walmart to ultimately become the most knowledgeable entity about a consumer's interests, entertainment, curiosities, shopping behavior among these heavy hitters. And so that to me, that's what's really interesting about what they're putting together if they're doing it right. Yeah, Drop I the think, mic, Ann. Drop know, the mic. I, know, I mean, he nailed I it again. That's a, yeah. oh man. One one take, Chad. Uh, yeah. Okay, so Dave, you you had some some thoughts as Chad was talking. What what are your like? Yeah, uh, I, I think bes- besides data, you know, throw my marketer hat on me. You want to be where your consumer is. Mm-hmm. And now what Walmart has is you have Roku, which focuses on television, your traditional binging of Netflix and Amazon Prime and so on and so forth. You have TikTok and Snapchat. So you have all the social channels where you're, you know, you're you're wasting time. Now you also have live sports. Mm-hmm. Yep. And so when you look at those three together, you are really at the forefront of every consumer touch point outside of like restaurants and, mm-hmm. and eating. And so anything where they are uh, leveraging media, they're there. And I think that will also help with not only the data and consumer behavior, but also being top of mind with the consumers where you're truly having that omni-channel approach, I think is is potentially a game changer. And so they're really building this great ecosystem across every single behavior and trend of a a consumer and potential target. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. Chris. Yeah, I mean, I, I think these two guys nailed it. I mean, there's two mm-hmm. points I would emphasize in what they said, just to bring them out a little more fully. One is one is the streaming aspect, mm-hmm. right? That's the difference here, is that the streaming nature of this and what Walmart is building here to connect to the streaming platforms gives them the ability to really capture ROI in the long run differently than has ever been done traditionally in broadcast media, right? Mm-hmm. And that's really valuable to the CPGs, especially when you consider what Chad said in terms of the power of the data that they can bring to the table. That's what's really important here is that kind of end-to-end omni-channel experience of knowing where your customer is and what they're buying. And that's just going to come more over time. And Walmart's the only one out there actively talking about this too. That's another interesting thing of this. Mm-hmm. And the second point, which Dave mentioned was the live rights. Like the live rights are just the icing on the cake because that's where the eyeballs are consistently in the moment. There's only so many of those events that are available in the marketplace. And so that's a big coup too, in my opinion. Yeah. Yeah, I think I think the the only thing I would add here is like to me it reminded me of 
you know, we see so much action happening here in, you know, consumer facing platforms to try to get consumers to go to prime, to go to Walmart plus this to me feels like Walmart is almost doing the same, but for their advertisers, like how do I figure mm-hmm. out how to be the most differentiated, the most unique when you're look and, and then as a CPG, you know, you're looking at all of the options for all the retail media networks that you can be a part of and where to really heavily invest. And I think this is just, again, another reason why Walmart is where you're going to put the majority of your budget because of all the reasons that you guys were talking about eyeballs, you know, uh, differentiated uh, demographics that you're able to bring to the platform because of the variety of connection points that Walmart Connect has. And I think that's that it's almost like we're, we're seeing this like behind the scenes war going on now between Amazon and Walmart, not for the customer, the customer facing, but now it's the the CPG customers on this side. So I'm really excited to see where this goes. Absolutely. And and also, let's not forget, they also have in-store radio, you know, to, oh. that they're bringing to the table, well, too. Well, I will forget <laughs> that. I <laughs> think we, it's okay to forget that. Which we won't go into. We won't go into. We'll keep the show rolling here. But uh, nice to get a chuckle out of everyone on that comment. All right. Headline number two. In a phrase I never thought I would say this early, a successful, fast, casual restaurant says it will now go full robot. Full robot, and. According to The Spoon, Sweetgreen CEO Jonathan New- Neiman told investors this week at the William Blair Growth Stock Conference, yes, get your tickets now, that the company plans to have its infinite kitchen robotic make line system installed at all new locations within a five-year time frame. An analyst's note about Neiman's disclosures at the conference also indicates that the early results from the infinite kitchen have been extremely positive. Here is what the analyst had to say, quote, Sweetgreen's first infinite kitchen has proven that the technology works with zero downtime so far and significant benefits related to faster throughput and improved portioning and order accuracy with with less labor intensity and greater job satisfaction so far. (laughs) Goes without saying, we believe the infinite kitchen has the potential to structurally change Sweetgreen's labor model as roughly half of variable labor stems from assembly. End quote. David. It's kind of a two-parter. What do you think of this move? And even if you like it, would you have said it publicly? As a consumer, I am a fan of it uh, for a few reasons. Not only uh, the accuracy, which I've actually never had issues with accuracy, but I'm sure there's some pretty complex custom orders out there and portion size. Mm -hmm. But during lunchtime, you can wait 45 minutes for your sweet green. And, you know, I at moments, I will not actually go to Sweetgreen because I know the line is so long during lunchtime. So I'm actually really curious to see how this will impact foot traffic and actually how many more people will go now knowing that during lunchtime, it can be, the line can be super, super long. So from a consumer aspect, I think now if the line is cut down in half because throughput's so much faster, I think that's super interesting. And so there's a top line piece to this also. Yeah, you were excited um, about this topic, right? Like you were like, "Yeah, I'm a sweet green guy." Oh, like I'm, I, I'm actually, I get my salads there a lot, right? Hey, you're yeah, like, sweet green, call me. I want to yeah. be an influencer. I want, I want to be an ambassador. <laughs> um, I'm actually after this going to go to a sweet green. Uh, Reconsulting sweet green. Yeah, oh, yeah that's how yeah. much you like it. Bring, bring me on. You know, forget about the business side. I just want to help. I just love you guys. Um, you can pay me in free salads. Um, <laughs> so I, I'm really, I'm, I'm really intrigued that way because 
if it can mitigate the 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 tie the weight, then I think you're going to start seeing a lot more people go. Because I remember, as a consumer, I would go and be like, "Oh, this line's way too long. I'm, I'm not. I don't have this time." So that would be really interesting. Um, in terms of uh, you know, when I put my financial hat on, I'm really curious to see how this will actually play in the long run in terms of capex. And mm. yeah, it might have a huge impact on variable labor costs. Mm-hmm. Um, but also, what is the actual investment needed to scale something like this? And then what happens if there are issues and you need to fix that? Think about, do they have the amount of labor to actually fulfill the orders? And so there's a lot of nuances that they'll have to figure out once the, this pilot goes live. But, you know, innov- uh, Sweet Green has always been innovative. Mm-hmm. Uh their their app is one of the best apps in the market. I know they initially went all credit card, which they had to back out for certain reasons, but mm-hmm. they are really at the forefront of this. I know Chipotle has Chippy with uh, making some tortillas, but they've I don't think they've ever publicized it the same way that Sweetgreen is doubling down. I'm really curious. So I, I think if, if it's done correctly, it could be, it could be a huge game changer as it relates to more people going. So, so let me push you though. Cause you, you kind of didn't answer the second question. Would you have made this announcement? Mm, no, not no. yet. Not yet. I would have, you know, I don't know enough. I don't think we know enough about the pilot. Yeah. And so I think it would have been interesting to understand how the pilot works in different geographies, the difference between a lunch and a dinner time, because dinner time you go there, there, you don't need this level of output. And so it really is a lunchtime focus. And once they have more data and learnings and they're going to potentially scale it nationally, then I think I probably would have doubled down on it. Yeah, it's hard to understand the value from doing that, I think, too. Chad, what do you think, though? So first of all, I got to call Schneid out on being a complete liar. I've I've uh, I've sat next to him when he's gotten like his sweet green order wrong or something like that, and like you know I, I've witnessed his extreme prima donna customization and what happens when it goes <laughs> wrong. Know, and you know, it's like, always antic about chicken. his dressing. You know what it is? Yeah. It's the double chicken. That's it's the, the double chicken and like which I think that's of, your new nickname, Dave. Double chicken. Double chicken. <laughs> Double yeah. chicken. Like which, which <laughs> the Lusker and Double Chicken back here for a fast <laughs> nice five. Ad. You'll never nice. forget. Yeah. Uh, which cilantro vinaigrette he gets. Uh, so anyway. Um, Don't be a hater. That's no, delicious. All good. All good. So, <laughs> so, I think it's, so I think it's interesting, Chris, your question on like whether to announce this or not. And, and, and I looked at it in terms of like what they were saying in the announcement mm-hmm. as well. It's like, it's important to recognize why retailers make tech investments, right? I mean, it's number one, to create some sort of operational efficiency and enhance margin. Two, to improve customer experience and differentiate as a retailer. And three, of course, to sell more goods, right? And stock they, price. It's the stock price. Yeah, that's what I'm wondering is the key here. Yeah. 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 Right. I mean, so, you know, Dave is kind of hitting on the, the customer experience angle. And I think that's great. I don't think you make this investment for, you know, order accuracy, you know, kind of as the primary. I think you have to have line of sight to labor reductions um, or, you know, like electronic shelf labels and grocery, like at least Ooh. free labor up to do other things, if not save labor dollars completely. 
And, you know, it might be hard to go out and publicly and say like, hey, we're going to be able to reduce workforce and stuff like that. But ultimately, I, I think it has to in order to, to generate the, the returns. And so yeah. if that works, then, uh, you know, yeah, the investor, or the, the, the consultant in me says it's a great example of strategically using technology to create kind of a sustained operational improvement uh, reduce labor and increase margin at a time when these labor shortages are very real and, and hindering retailers operations. Well, I think it's the payback, Chad. It's, you know, the CapEx, the investment versus, you know, the ongoing labor improvement and, and potential foot traffic. Right. Against how much investment you can get from the market too to build this out based on the idea and the concept that you've now put out there that people are going to potentially get excited about. That's the part I hadn't thought about till you guys just started talking about this. But Anne, what's your take? I I 100% am in support of this. I you, think are. This future, I think that, you are. 100%. You are. 100%. I think this future-proof sweet green for uh, across multitudes of reasons, like what we're talking about, number one with the labor shortage, like Yes, you're saying that we're we're eliminating humans from the production process here, but they can't find the workforce to do that. And is that going to change? I don't know. I think this allows Sweet Green to keep things consistent, allows them to keep price consistent, allows them the opportunity to be open more hours. I mean, if in theory, you know, this should allow yeah. Sweet Green to be open 24 hours a day at some point in time without having to worry about, you know, whose shifts are available and and when people want stuff. If Dave wants his double chicken salad uh, you're getting, at, at five in the morning, dream. Like, dream. it should be available. So I think it makes a lot of strategic sense. The other thing that I think we didn't hit on that I'm, I think that they'll be able to now gather from this potentially is when you go and order sweet green in person, they're not collecting the data from the app that they're getting when you order ahead. So what are they able to glean from the, the like the multiple orders in store where you're, you're not collecting the information about Dave's double chicken. You're just fulfilling the order, fulfilling the order over and over again. And now you'll be mm. able to, through a mobile process, understand like, what are people's preferences? Do they like a mixture of the cilantro vinaigrette and the Italian vinaigrette? Like, how do we come up with new recipe concepts or new Ooh, that's cool. creations? That. Like, as a result of this larger collection of data. So, I think I think this is going to be a great move for Sweet Green. I think somebody's got to do it in the QSR space, wow. and they're going to be the ones to go to go for it. And I I would be happy if I was a shareholder right now. Wow. I, I, I'm going to go in a different direction here. Like, first of all, those points are great, Anne, but I think you could do that without going full robotic. You could get that same thing just by forcing a mobile interaction with your restaurant too, if you wanted to, like they could still make the order from that point. And I'll say this too. I, one thing I've never wanted at 2 AM is spinach leaves, you know, like that's just not, not my thing. But, um, the, the, the thing I worry about with this is, and I'm gonna say this kind of in jest, but when you make this announcement nationally and you're trying to roll out your brand nationally, I think there's going to be some calls to boycott sweet green, particularly by the younger generations, because you're like, hey, we're just not going to use labor to the full extent here. We're going robots. Yeah. And so, yeah. What's that? No, I, that, that was yeah. my point. I agree with you. Yeah. If it's going to happen. Right, Chad. I mean, so that's the thing. So, like, I don't understand. There's nothing that good that comes out of saying this publicly, especially when it's like a five year horizon. You could just roll this out quietly and get the same benefit, which makes me think. That's why I was saying the thing about the investors before, like they're trying to gin this up. It makes me wonder. And then I go, well, why are you doing that? If you're a good brand, why do you need to do that? Why do you need that extra zhuzh to your investors at this point? That makes no sense to me. But 
you know, from the benefits are probably there. Like, right. The biggest thing right now is employees aren't showing up. So you don't have that risk. You don't have to worry about employees showing up to their, their shifts. So I, I agree with you, Ann, that like over time, we're going to see this. Like if you can make a salad with robots, you can wrap a burrito, you can probably make a pizza too. I just wouldn't have taken this approach with it because it feels more risky than it ultimately needs to be, but time will tell. So I don't know. I'm just not, I'm not a, not a fan of it from that perspective, but I do think we're going to see more and more of it for sure. hundred It's a public market. Yeah. Play here. It's, yeah. it's to juice up the, uh, the stock price potentially. Right. Yeah. And that's strange right. to me for a brand that's doing supposedly so well. Yeah. All right. Let's go to headline number three. Uh, Shein has added home appliances to its marketplace. According again to payments.com, the extended product categories now include items such as portable washing machines, remote control lighting, and a selection of home improvement products like bathroom fixtures and wallpaper. The move also comes, according to payments.com, after a declaration in growth within Shein's primary segment of affordable and trendy fashion. And that is consistent with the overall trend observed in the fast fashion industry. Also, a funding round last month just lowered the company's $100 billion valuation by a third. Chad, we're going to go to you first on this one. Would you be advising Shein to take this approach? Yeah, there's, there's a lot going on here. I think this is the second time I've had a, a Shein topic on the show. This, this company tends to be so polarizing. I'm curious it, what we it get It does, into. Yeah. I, it really does, right? I mean, here, here's what I'll say. Um, I, it's been, it hasn't been that long since they announced they were doing a marketplace period, right? It was like six months yep. ago. Right. Um, and at the time, here's why I think that made sense, right? Two reasons. So first, and this is crazy to me, like Sheen has overtaken Amazon as the most number, the number one most downloaded shopping app, like in the US. Like that's, crazy to me. And so they have kind of the fundamental component of what anyone who wants to be an aggregator or marketplace, you know, kind of player around, like they have the audience and scale. So like, great check. Two, how they had initially announced it, they had category credibility, right? So companies will go to Shein for fashion and apparel, makes complete sense. Um, and in fact, an area where Amazon tends to struggle in, right? So uh, strategically, you want to anchor where you have the right to win. That was a bullseye for Sheen. So the flip side of this expansion is kind of curious to me. Um, again, I get that Sheen has the size and audience, um, but you don't have the category breadth of Amazon. And so I kind of think, well, why Sheen for household goods, like appliances and smart home products? Like Sheen became successful by undercutting others on price and trained consumers to be okay with long delivery times, low quality goods. I don't think you can do that here in these categories. So I don't know. I, I have a tough time with it, but I'm, I'm curious. Do, do you guys see it here? I, I mean, I haven't decided yet either. I think the products and, and uh, the categories that they went after, I think is unique and kind of like a question mark to me. I actually like the marketplace play. I yeah. think it it's it's a huge win for them given their sheer mass and they can continue to drive market share. Mm -hmm. And more and more people will start going to them over an Amazon or a Walmart. And I and and I think just given their scale, a marketplace inherently had to happen. Uh it, it's a question of 
what they're choosing around those products to your point, Chad, that I'm kind of like, well, that I'm not sure if that makes sense. That's not part of your core competency. Um, so I'm, I, part of me are in, I'm like one, I'm like one foot in one foot out at the moment. Yeah. Yeah. Chris. Oh, go ahead. Yeah. No, share. What are you thinking? Well, I'm thinking like, um, you know, on the one hand, I think, you know, it's, it's, a. It, it, at the end, for lack of a better way to put it, it's a cheap growth move, right? Like Chad, like Chad said, like they've got the eyeballs, they want to build a marketplace, they're getting more categories, they're casting a wider net with their marketplace for the traffic they're getting to their their properties, right? That's yeah. that's essentially why you're doing this. But the point I hadn't thought about until Chad and Dave just discussed this is, yeah, that isn't why you're going to Shein as a consumer. You're going there for fast fashion. So I wonder if like the connections are going to be made from the marketplace, even though the eyeballs are there and it's a different browse experience, you know, it's a different search experience. So it's good. It's not like you can just stand up the marketplace and they're going to come. It's not the field of dreams in Dyersville, Iowa, as an example. So that's the part where I'm kind of like, mm, you know, and everyone has this marketplace now too, like Macy's, Walmart, everyone's doing the same thing. So like, is this really going to work? Net net, as I'm talking this out loud, I think it's kind of desperate and kind of just an expected move at this point. Yeah. I mean, I think the thing that we haven't talked about too is like, what's the customer expectation going to be? I mean, you go to Shein because you know that, you know, you're going to get a good value on something. They are making clothing to the trends, like at a remarkable turnaround time, like so that you're getting on trend things that are, you know, you see on TikTok and you're going to be able to purchase that product for a fraction of the price. And it's constantly changing. There's constantly apparel that you can go there to buy. And can you do that in these other categories, in home electronics and in, you know, some of the other marketplace items to the extent that you're going to satisfy how that Shein customer has been shopping that platform. And I think, you know, another great thing that Shein does is the kind of gamification of that shopping. But you also have that on platforms like Timu that have been around for a longer time and have that breadth of assortment. And they're, you're like you, the points that you guys were saying earlier, like you're used to going to Timu to shop for everything across that category from, you know, a t-shirt all the way down to, you know, this portable washing machine and getting that low price and gamifying that experience. So I, I think, like you said, Chris, it's a desperate move from Shein to try to compete against other large players in that space. But will it work? I, I think we'll have to wait and, and see if that if that strategy is successful. Yeah, that's a great point too, Aaron, because you can't fast fashion appliances, right? There's too many right. product safety requirements that come into play, right? The worst thing that mm -hmm. happens with a bad t-shirt is you get a rash, you know? You you, you do- <laughs> Is you, that you, the worst thing? Yeah, I mean, I, well, I don't know. Depends who's wearing it, like me, but- um. But, you know, like, but that's an issue, right? Like, you know, you can't do that in appliances because there's too much, too much thought that has to go into that process. So, yeah, right. I, I'm kind of more on this negative camp on this side this week. No, yeah, even, even the yep. shipping and just the route to market is fundamentally different. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So, yeah. All right. Well, let's keep rolling to headline number four. According to Chain Store Age, REI will open a standalone REI re slash supply store dedicated to used gear and apparel in my favorite town name in America, Clackamas, Oregon. And it's expected to open in late August. The roughly 16,000 square foot store is REI's second store devoted to the resupply concept. The first being launched in Manhattan Beach in 2020. The store is meant to provide REI members with access to high quality used outdoor gear and apparel at great prices with frequently changing selection composed of used products REI receives through its returns process and via trade-in. 
Dave, let's go back to you. The double chicken, double chicken. Let's go back to you. Let's see if this sticks. Is and this I'm doubling down on this? You're, you're I'm doubling, doubling down on this. All right, cool. I can't wait to hear. So here's my question to you on the spot, as we like to do. Is this story unique to REI or will we see other retailers start to devote entire store concepts to resale? Your thoughts, please. I think it won't be unique to only REI, but I think there are only certain brands retailers who can really do this and do this well. Mm -hmm. And so REI, potentially Patagonia, where it's part of their core principles and ethos, I think it fundamentally makes sense. You know, was it uh, fashion resale is 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 over almost $20 billion. And so if you think about just the resale market is trending up, it's up 15% versus a year ago. Um, there really isn't an a place where you can focus on non, um, I'll call it fashion or apparel. And so if you think about it as like all of us, we probably have different gear that you're just like, I don't use it anymore. Yeah. Um, gear is expensive. It takes up a lot of space. Uh, people need it. People don't need it. And with REI's approach and their and their co-op, it just fundamentally makes sense. And especially in a place probably like Oregon, where there's a lot more camping, mm -hmm. there's a lot more hiking. You're going to need gadgets and gear at, 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 a, at a whim, but also at the same moment, you're like, I don't use this anymore. For instance, I have a Yeti cooler, haven't used it in two years. Yeti, I love you, but I like I can I'd be happy to kind of resell that, but where do you do that? And so yeah. I think hmm. it fits with what they're doing, it fits with their mission, it fits with the geography. Um, the products itself, it's a unique path to um remarket and i just don't see that out there that often and so i i think rei is one of the only retailers that can that can start doing this i think the first mover status will be huge for them yeah i'm curious about that i want to double clean into that chad like and chad we'll go to you next like and dave jump back in here too if you want but um you know my you guys are in a lot of boardroom discussions i gotta think this topic's coming up like how do we attack this market you know do we open a store do we put up an online storefront do we just you know disavow it completely and not go after it like what how do you help the executives through that type of conversation yeah because the the question you're really getting at is like what is the what is the mechanism to uh to have this kind of resale marketplace right i mean i, I think what would would dave hit on really well and like for rei these categories lend themselves really well to this right i mean how mm -hmm. How many tents do you think are sitting in garages and storage spaces right now that were used once, right? And these things are pretty durable. Yeah. But but I think what you're getting at is like, do I open a storefront or do I have more of an online exchange? You know, I, it's interesting. I was, I was part of a company a number of years ago that was experimenting with this kind of concept, but in more of a um, rental capacity. So mm -hmm. think about it as like, rent, you know, we tinkered with the idea of like renting out tools and equipment and kind of creating that online exchange. So like most of the time your power saw or your wet dry vac are left idle, right? Getting only a couple of usages. And ultimately we couldn't um, at the time, this goes back a little bit, but like we couldn't wrap around like the, the logistics of the exchanges of how we right. would kind of make that work. And so in a way, the storefront is, you know, having a dedicated store or a portion of a store or, you know, whatever is kind of the easiest way to do it. Like REI already has exchange programs in place mm -hmm. and opportunities to sell goods back. 
Uh, I believe DSW had done the same thing where sports equipment not that long ago, right? And so uh, it's a very, uh, I'll say, quote, easy way and mechanism of getting that back out to the consumer basis somewhere to go. So I don't, I don't mind doing it as a as a storefront concept. Um, you know, we'll see how this, uh, we'll see how this goes and whether it's actually profit generating. My lean is is that ultimately it will be, um, but. Mm-hmm. You know, if nothing else, it's a uh, it's a great example of an initiative that aligns to kind of this company mission, as Dave was talking about. Um, and so, uh, so yeah, I'd be I'd be good with this uh, with with this mechanism of doing it. I disagree, though. I'm not sure if it's going to be profit generating. Right, I that's think. the issue. Uh, ah. But 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 here's the thing: is I don't. I'm not sure if you need to be. And and so bear with me. Yeah, something like this, if you break even. Or are around break even. That is a big win on something like this. But what you're doing is driving so much more loyalty, mm-hmm. and you're doubling down on what you stand for. That I think it's going to have a huge halo effect on REI, both e-commerce and their traditional brick and mortar stores. So I think it fits exactly with what they're doing. And it, it maybe not the perfect example, but you even think about um, drugstores removing um, cigarettes. They're mm-hmm. supposed to be healthy. You're supposed to be wellness. Why would you have cigarettes there? And so uh, there are some things that are counterintuitive from a financial aspect, but long-term it drives, it fits within their strategy and it drives more sustainability and loyalty, which I think will have a, a, a huge impact with, with REI. Yeah. And that plays right along with, with REI's ethos too. Like, Correct. you know, and, but that's, that's the important point here is like, how many people can play to that ethos and how many people need that ethos ultimately at the end of the day to keep their customer coming back. And I guess, I'm guessing Anne's going to sing a same similar tune to what you just said, Dave, but Anne, what do you think? So I, I think the thing that we need to talk about here is that when, especially when we're talking about, is this profitable? Like there's a lot of logistics that are going to go into making a successful resale platform. Like Chad said, Aria has been doing this for a long time. So they're, they've, they've been doing this. So can every brand do this and be, have it be a profitable entity for them? No, but I think the most important thing we need to think about is what Chris Spire, the chief merchant at REI told us at the Seattle classic summit, Chris, or if you'll remember where he said that the biggest problem that Aria has right now is that all of my concerns consumers look like me, Chris Spire, who is, you know, a middle-aged man. And he's, you know, they're trying to bring in a more diverse, a more, a younger audience and customer into REI. And this is a way to do that. I was at the Commerce Next conference uh, on a Gen Z panel and the, the people that were representing Gen Z for a granted, you know, focus group of four here, but they were talking about the, the times that they do invest are when they're getting things. The guy specifically mentioned getting a pair of hiking boots. That's when they're looking for a place like what REI is doing here. And I think that is very smart for REI to be investing in, to bring that new customer in and to get them in at a price point that's much more affordable and then build them into that brand loyalty like Dave was talking about. Well, I think the price point is the most unique piece. It's like, I don't, I don't do a lot of camping. So I don't have any camping gear, but should I go camping? I'll need the gear, but I don't want to pay full price. Right. And so this is a way where it's like, it's, it's much more, it's almost below opening price point. Mm-hmm. It's more like a one-time opening yeah. price point that I could use at this product. So I think there's, there's a huge benefit. This is a very symbiotic, I think, uh, environment for everyone here. Right. 
Well, and when you look at it the way you two just said it, then Dave, like you could even you could even make the argument that maybe you don't need to be profitable. Like maybe it's somewhat of a marketing investment in the areas that you're putting these stores, and you're evaluating yeah. your market economics then by growing your customer base and keeping them in the brand too. That's another way to look at it. Yeah. I don't know. My only thing here is like I don't feel like every brand can do this. Every retailer can no. do this. Like I don't think Target and Walmart should start opening resale stores as an example. Yeah, they're not selling the quality goods though. Like that, I think that's exactly it, Chris. Like their products, Walmart and Target, are not meant to sustain three to four to five owners throughout the product's life. Right, but I do think the the, the interesting tilt on this argument or this discussion to me is I do think every retailer gets returns, right? Every retailer wants to be closer to the consumer. We just read Jason Del Rey's book too on winter sells all on Amazon. And they talked about Amazon and their sortation centers and putting those in the right locations throughout the country was a really important part of their strategy. And other retailers are starting to do that. So do you start seeing like small urban warehouses meant for fulfillment, also return hubs that can also be turned into like front facing, hey, you want to shop our returns? Come in. These places are relatively close to you. You can do it. It helps us clear through our inventory, keeps us out of the brand and the operational muck that comes with having to process online returns in a store when those things aren't on the shelf to begin with. They don't have a place to go. Like, I wonder if we start to see that as a way for this to happen and take off in a different way with different economics. That's just my, I don't know. It's just kind of fun to think about from my perspective. All right, let's roll on to headline number five. Mercedes-Benz car and sport utility vehicle owners are now able to use ChatGPT artificial intelligence in their vehicles. According to Newsweek, the company began installing the technology in 900,000 cars this past Friday. The AI used in Mercedes vehicles is verbally triggered by uttering a Hey Mercedes. hey, Mercedes, verbal verbal command and is built off of Microsoft's Azure OpenAI service. Chad. Commerce from the car. Hey, Mercedes. Hey, girl. Hey, Mercedes. Can you find me some eggs? Are you in or out? Oh, well, you know, thank goodness. I was <laughs> wondering when I was going to be able to um, draft a cover letter for a job application or create a marketing campaign or write a lovely ballad for my wife about butterflies and rainbows from the comforts of my Mercedes driver's yeah. seat. You, whatever uh, you want to talk about on that hour and a half drive back from O'Hare to your house, Chad, you that's <laughs> that you keep that to you and Mercedes. That's but that's a bond that cannot be broken. We have we've gotten there. Um, you know, I'm going to I'm going to hold my my horse powered horses on this one. Uh, call me jaded from from past experience. So so I used to work for a company called uh, Chamberlain Group, which was um leading manufacturer of garage door openers. And we had a smart garage control technology called MyQ. Uh, and, and so we explored this automotive connectivity space pretty intently. Now, I'll admit that ChatGPT runs circles around Alexa in terms of its AI sophistication mm -hmm. and capabilities. Full stop, got it. Mm -hmm. But you know what the number one consumer use case for having voice controls in the car was? like being able to check on and control your garage door, right? right? Like something very functional, like couldn't actually develop meaningful Alexa use cases outside of that, that, that made any sense. And as a result, I've not had, you know, deep penetration. Um, so, you know, maybe I'm just the old stodgy guy who worked on this stuff five, six years ago and, you know, therefore makes me completely antiquated in this technology, but I can't wrap my head around the real use cases for chat GPT in a driving environment. 
that hmm. voice activation on your phone can't solve. Um, right. But I'm interested whether, you know, I'm completely missing the boat on this and guys and, and whether you uh, whether you're all geeked up on it. Is this headline of the year for you, Chris? You know, number 12. Yeah. Oh, wow. <laughs> well, a subtle dig there, Chad. Yes. I like it. That's an interesting point, though. Like, you know, is this just voice commerce or voice, you know, activation under a different guise? You know, that's a really interesting question that you're raising. Yeah. Or were you just too early ahead of your time with my Q chat and, and the resources that were available to you at that time? But uh, Dave, are, are you in agreement? Where do you sit on this? Yes. First of all, I have my Q and it's fantastic. So well done, Chad. <laughs> um, well, I, I, I just don't, I just don't get it. Like, I think it's, it could be a cool marketing ploy and play, where it's like, we are moving forward, we're innovative, we're always thinking about the future. And I think that is unique, but I have so many gadgets and gizmos in my car and I don't use any of them. I just want CarPlay, I want my music, I put in Google Maps and I drive. Um, And so the last thing I'm using or wanting to do is having these really intense conversations with myself, with ChatGPT um, in the car. Uh, and even so, let's say I have it, what would I use it for? Like, is there going to be a printer in the car that I could then print out the answer or can I email the answer to myself? So um, I think conceptually it's cool where Mercedes is trying to be really innovative. Uh, but, you know, until they put the printer in the car too, I'm not sure how I'm going to. I think really I think you lost I thought, I thought the I was audience the old at printer. Guy. Yeah, I was yeah, going to say. I thought I was like, the old guy. You're talking about needing guys. to print it out. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I said email. I said email also. Google uh, Chicken just... Dave, we are moving on from you. Uh, I'm sorry. Uh, Chris, how do you feel? Is this a don't knock it till you try it situation? Or do you think are you do you agree with Chad and Dave? I think inherently I do. And the point that it, that's bring up in my head is like, is commerce inherently a visual experience to some degree, right? Like, you know, the Alexa analogy is really good that Chad brought up. I think like, you know, the only thing I could consume on voice commerce with Alexa was Starbucks. Cause it's something I knew I was getting over and over again. So I think in that regard, when you think about like, I'm in my car, I'm stopping by the grocery store. I want the things that I know I want. Yeah. Okay, great. But then how much of an aspect is there, you know, and yeah, I can make the use case of like, okay, I'm at the grocery store. I want these items, get them ready for me. Do you have flowers? Pick up some chrysanthemums for my wife, you know, whatever it is, you know, I could make that use case, but am I doing it in the car or am I, is that the best place to do that, to have that conversation or am I facilitating that conversation could still be through voice, but is it through another mechanism like my phone or a, a computer to make that happen. I don't know. The other funny part about this, Anne, is like, we were joking, like, it's going to be like AI story of the week here now. I mean, yeah, that's just sure. how crazy this is getting because there are commerce angles here, but right. It's like, what's the right platform for this? And that's why I'm wondering, like, I've never thought about that before. Like how visual is our, how visual are we as consumers to be able to need to see things and interact with them as we're doing this new type of search, which is a question that I don't have the answer to. Yeah. I don't think any of us can really talk about this because we aren't doing it yet. I think we are not shopping in this way. We have not engaged with chat GPT in the, in a way that I think we will be as this technology becomes more pervasive in our day-to-day -day lives. I'm giving you the, the multitasking mom perspective here from the Mercedes that I don't Fair. have, but if I did, 
I think like when I'm driving to and from sporting events and I have an hour here and there, and I'm like, I need to get kids food for dinner before we get to this practice. And I'm going to that field next. And then I got to figure this out. What, you know, gluten-free choices are available for me in this area. Can you map out my route for tonight so that I can make sure that I'm getting people to the right spots at the right time and, you know, picking up groceries if I want to on the way home. I think the idea that we can really have a conversation with this back and forth has never existed before. So until we start to have those experiences, I don't know that we can say like, this is a success or failure. I think we really need to give it some time because to me, this, this will redefine the, the, give me the play on words here, the shopper journey that we're going to be going on, whether we're in the car, we're at home, we're at work and we're, we're, we're changing the way that we interact. I do think there's some visual components to it, but if I'm able to get some things done and we think about chat GPT as more of an assistant instead of like a direct, like placing an order on a, on a retailer's website, I think that's where this starts to get really interesting and brings up an entirely new way of shopping. Hmm. Oh man, I have so many thoughts, but I don't, I'm going to, I'm going to give the, the final word here to the A&M folks. What do you guys think? Chad, you're smiling. Uh, I mean, I, in the end, I, I, I agree with Anne, right? I, I can, yeah. I can be snarky and upfront and, and, you know, and, and kind of say, Hey, I don't see it, but, but I, I agree. Like, I, I think the the use cases and the utility of it is, is still continuing to manifest and get, get explored every, every time I, Chris, you know, you said, Hey, we're going to see the AI topic of the week. Like, yeah. Is like that going to be this year's like where we saw like the Uber fast delivery agent of the week, you know, pop up right. every, you know, every time over the last two weeks. You know, yeah. We're going to see more and more of this coming to fruition. I think it is a, uh, it, it is a full uh, steam and freight train of, uh, of opportunity in terms of what it can become. And so, um, you know, I guess we'll, uh, I guess we'll see over time. Dave, any final words? Uh, Anne is making me a believer. Um, wow. And so I knew I, knew cases, I loved you double chicken. I knew it's, I the you. use cases are more about questions, uh, not questions in to make life easier for business cases, so on and so forth. And so really leveraging it in your day to day, I think is still unknown. Um, and so whether that is, this is the type of food that I'm interested in, where like, what should I find that's local or give me a route that's more scenic. I think like, I, I didn't even think about that. Like where well, I'm in a new area, give me a cool route that, that takes me around the city. Something like that. So I think as time goes on and we potentially use it and it gets democratized, we'll have a better understanding of of does it make sense and then how it integrates into our lives. I, I hope it's I hope it's more than that. <laughs> you know what I mean. You can have a conversation about the meaning of life chat. I mean, this is this is something that we we just have no concept of the possibility. I agree with that. Um, okay, let's get to the lightning round. Finally, guys, uh, first question goes to you, Chad. Modelo just became the number one beer in America. When was the last time, if ever, that you peeled that golden foil wrapper and took a cool drink? If ever. I mean, yeah, I, I plenty. In fact, uh, I, <laughs> this, uh, this, this past weekend, um, I was sitting in a Dave and Buster's uh, oh, outside yeah. of St. Louis. 
with a couple other soccer dads that we were down there for uh, our son's uh, uh, ODP series of games representing the state of Illinois. And uh, uh, in fairness, they didn't have the beer that I asked for. I believe it was some Lagunitas, little something, something. They were out of that. And Ooh, so she said, but we okay. have some Modelo on tap, which is not exactly a substitute. Not at all the same. Nope. Um, but you know what? I was like, that sounds refreshing and delicious. And the sounds of Dave and Buster's video games in my background, like is leading me to that place. So uh, I enjoyed a couple talls and it was wonderful. Amazing. Nicely done. All right, Dave. Next question. Jansport, best known for backpacks, has launched a new line of hats and t-shirts. David, what backpack were you slinging across your shoulders in high school? And the better question, were you two strapping it or one strapping it? Oh, L.L. Bean through and through with the initials on the back. And it had the, oh, all the yeah. extra pockets. At the, wow. you, know, you know the rule. If the more pockets you had and more zippers you had in your in your backpack, the cooler you were. But oh, I thought it was the last you, chance you had to be a You treat your pants too, right? <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> You know, you had the zippers, like uh, the zipper shorts, uh, right. and I was one strapping. I thought I was a Me lot too. cooler than I was. So that this is, you know, as I got older, I've learned from like a back standpoint. I got a, you got a two strap. Um, uh, age is catching up, but uh, in my cool middle school days, I was definitely one strapping. Nice. All right, Dave, I'm gonna go to you again for the next question. Uh, apparel retailer South Moon Under just launched a new program where it will give online shoppers 15% off full price items when they use the code keep it, which also makes that purchase final and ineligible for returns. What was the last final sale item that you got stuck with? Um, a pair of Lululemon running shorts. Um, so you're you're laughing. Why? How'd I get stuck with them? So I bought yeah. I was gonna say you got to join the sweat collective program so that you can return final sale. That's like the benefit of joining. No, the problem was is is that after I got them, I actually I'm not a member of that, and I also I was six inches. I wanted a four inch pair of shorts, and so mm-hmm. after taking the tag off and running with them and not being a member, I was like, I'm I'm kind of stuck with them. So I'm thinking if I have to do anything, I have to Poshmark or keep them. So you got to posh him, posh him right gotta now. Got to posh him. Woo. Okay. I <laughs> got it. I almost did a spit take on that one. All right. <laughs> Chad, final one. Let's get out of here on this. WCW Saturday Night Nitro is set to return to the Mall of America on September 9th. Chad, who is your favorite pro wrestler of your youth? And no, you cannot say Hulk Hogan or the Iron Sheik. No, no. I mean, uh, RIP, uh, Iron Sheik. But um, no, I was a big... I was a big WWF guy when I was a kid. I had the action figures. Oh, and, yeah. Remember those? I think watch the Saturday morning cartoon and all of it. Right. And oh, you guys man, are I really think... cool. Has anyone told you? You're right. Um, oh, I feel bad for all the guys that I'll leave behind on this one, like Rowdy Roddy Piper and yeah. uh, the Junkyard Dog. Oh, and, good reference. Uh, Jesse the Body. Macho Man, Jesse the Body. But you know who I'm going to go with? I'm going to go with um, Jimmy Superfly yes. Snooker. Yes. Uh, with his top turn buckle just like laid out and uh, it was the most glorious move in all of wrestling. And again, Chris, sounds like I'm I'm pulling on your heartstrings. Oh my God. Too. Superfly <laughs> Snuka is the greatest name ever. Like you it's guys just are so such good, good alliteration. Such if good alliteration. People could only see how both of you were like throwing your arms up in the air when you were oh, talking watch, about watch, Snuka. Watch the YouTube for this one. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Oh man, oh man. All right, well, happy birthday today to Clyde the Glide Drexler. 
Cindy Lauper, and to a woman that is that it is okay to judge, Anne, Amy Brenneman. And remember, if you can only read or listen to one retail blog in the business, make it OmniTalk, the only retail media outlet run by two former executives from a current top 10 U.S. retailer. Our Fast Five podcast is the quickest, fastest rundown of all the week's top news. And our twice-weekly newsletter tells you the top five things you need to know each day and also features special content exclusive to us. And we do it all just for you. And we try really hard to make it all fit within the preview pane of your inbox. You can sign up today at www.omnitalk.blog. Thanks, as always, for listening in. Please remember to like and leave us a review wherever you happen to listen to your podcast or on YouTube. And Chad, before we let you go, if people want to get in touch with you or the AM Consumer and Retail Group, what's the best way for them to do that? Yes. Um, thanks for having us. A blast today. Uh, so you can learn more about AM CRG at our website, uh, Alvarez and Marsal-CRG.com. Uh, look us up on our LinkedIn page, Alvarez and Marcel Consumer and Retail Group. And of course, you can uh, reach out to either Schneids, aka Double Chicken, uh, or I, uh, Lusker, uh, directly on LinkedIn. Awesome. Well, on behalf of Chad and Dave, again, thanks for being with us. But on behalf of them and Ann and all of us at OmniTalk Retail, as always, be careful out there. The OmniTalk Fast Five is brought to you in association with the A&M Consumer and Retail Group. The A&M Consumer and Retail Group is a management consulting firm that tackles the most complex challenges and advances its clients, people, and communities toward their maximum potential. CRG brings the experience, tools, and operator-like pragmatism to help retailers and consumer products companies be on the right side of disruption. And Firework. Firework is the largest video commerce solution built for the world's leading brands. They empower brands with shoppable and live stream video on their own websites where people like to shop. Put your commerce in motion with Firework. You can find out more at firework.com. And SPS Commerce. SPS Commerce is redefining how businesses across the supply chain operate in an omnichannel world. Their experts, tech, and data work together to fuel your growth and deliver for your customers. To find out more, head to sbscommerce.com. And finally, Sezzle. Sezzle is an innovative buy now, pay later solution that allows shoppers to split purchases into four interest-free payments over six weeks. To learn more, visit Sezzle.com.